0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I'm your host and narrator, spring Jack, and we're going to get started today after just a few brief disclaimers. First of all, the show might offend you. If you're easily offended, please turn the show off and spare me the negative reviews on the podcast store or the iTunes store, whatever the fuck you call it, uh, because you won't like the show. This is your first and final warning. Second, I use advertisements in the show that I do not own the rights to. They are the creative property of Rockstar Games. That is all. Sometimes the law is not enough. Did you file the subpoena in
1: the McPherson case? No, it wasn't urgent. I filed an AO440. A0440? I know, I know. So I went shopping for these loafers. Has anyone got a stapler? Got a lot of forms and there's a slight reason here! Law, because paperwork is dramatic. Catch it Thursdays on Weasel before it catches you. Sexual realignment used to require expensive surgery, months of hormone treatments, years of therapy, and you still ended up looking like a drag queen. Now you can let the woman inside come out in the privacy and comfort of your own home. And it's as fast as this. Slice.
2: See, now I'm a woman thanks to Rapidite. This do-it-yourself sexual realignment kit includes everything you need to go from Brad to Brenda in a jiff. It's just snip, chop, stuff and swallow and away you go. Do it in the bathroom and surprise your family with the new you. Comes with an instructional video, rusty knife and tourniquet, two aspirins and 47 pounds of estrogen. It's all you need. When it's time for a change, you want it fast. Rapidite, the do-it-yourself sexual realignment kit. Be exactly who you want to be.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anthology of Horror Halloween Special Edition. I'm your host and narrator Springheel Jack, and today I'm going to take a bit of a break from the Rod Serling saga and delve back into the sniveling shithole that is Reddit. These stories are are from the uh, Let's Not Ever Meet subreddit, and as always, with these stories, I haven't read them before I read them to you. I think I have some strong ones picked out, just based on the titles of the stupid fucking stories written by these sniveling fucking assholes. This first one is called The Streetcar Named Dread. This happened to me a few years back. I was living on my own in the city and was unemployed at the time, usually out looking for work and trying to stay busy. One early afternoon, I was heading back to my neighborhood after running some errands downtown and boarded a tram that would take me almost all the way home. There was a park that I would have to cross between the stop and my home, but crossing it would only take a few minutes. So I board the tram, which was mostly empty. Besides me, there was one younger man in the second carriage, and the driver up front in the first. I find an empty two-seater. The rows are quite narrow, but I'm comfortable. I put my earbuds in and look out the windows as we start moving out of downtown and towards my home. We pass a couple of stops and don't pick up any new passengers. There had probably been a tram right in front of us who took all those people, so it was particularly empty compared to normal. At the third stop, the doors behind me open, but I don't pay much attention until a stocky man of average height, probably in his 50s with neat short hair and inconspicuous clothes, suddenly sits down on the seat next to me. Now, this is very strange. We're in a country where social conventions dictate that you do not sit next to somebody on public transportation unless there are no other options left. And given that the rows are very narrow, this guy is basically trapping me. I can't get past him without his cooperation. He greets me with a huge smile and says, Hi, as he sits down. Oh no. As women, we know the risks of rejecting men are, and are conditioned to be pleasant for society and for our own safety, but on this particular day, being down about not finding work and being and being at broad daylight, I decide I don't want to play along. I just want to listen to my music and don't like this man's vibe. I tell him I'm not in the mood to talk and he needs to go sit somewhere else. Wrong answer. The man goes from 0 to 100 in point two seconds and his face contorts with rage as he starts yelling at me from the top of his lungs. I wish this was an exaggeration, but unfortunately it isn't. He was loud AF, as the kids say. You are a terrible person. You don't clean yourself. You stink of sweat. I didn't stink of sweat. He stunk of sweat. He goes on and on about what an abomination of a person I am, and I have sort of a freeze reaction. Inside, I'm getting very, very scared. I start looking for a way out, but I'm trapped. I look over to the young man, hoping he will come to my rescue. I can tell he's hoping to stay out of it, but after I've been screamed at for maybe two full minutes, he finally says meekly, Hey man, you better calm down. Which of course doesn't help. So he just gives up and goes back to whatever he was doing, probably looking at his phone. More realistically, he's probably filming it to put it on Reddit, because that's how these things seem to go these days. That's what I say. I'm hoping that the driver might react as he has a clear view to the back of the tram and there's no way he's not hearing what's going on, but again, nothing. The stocky man, maybe frustrated that I'm not reacting to his insults, escalates the abuse and starts screaming that he's going to kill me. At this point, I have to do something and unconsciously probably decide that that the only way is through. I'm so done with this situation, so before I even realize what I'm doing, I just get up and push, push past him. It's all survival instinct. Scared that he's going to follow me, I move quickly towards the front of the tram. He gets up and, of course, follows me, all red-faced, shouting how he knows where I live and that I need to clean myself behind my ears, and that I stink and he's going to fucking kill me. Again, the driver does nothing. As we pull up to the next stop, which is the stop before mine, I wait until the very last minute before I ask the driver to let me out the front door, which he does. I slip out quickly in hope of escaping without being followed. I don't dare take the time to look over my shoulder. I just hurry down the steps and away from the stop. I'm so scared. Only when the tram has left the station do I take a second look back around me and he's not there. A brief sense of relief washes over me before I start worrying that he's going to get off at the next stop, which is normally my stop, and that he'll be waiting for me there. It should come as no surprise that I do not want this guy to follow me through the park or to know where I live, so I spend a good hour just walking around, trying to get my nervous system out of panic mode and staying close to the shops where there are other people around before I finally make my way home. So the one time I put my own comfort and needs before those of a stranger and didn't reject him in a pleasant and non-confrontational manner, I learned that this is like playing Russian roulette. I got the bullet. And I learned that you cannot count on the kindness of strangers. In the company of cowards, you're on your own. Insane man and cowardly bystanders, let's not ever meet again. I find that easy to believe. That's fucked up, but that is kind of how it goes, I guess. This next one's called The Man Across the Street. Alright, this happened to me about three years ago. It was brought up recently with my friends, and they suggested that I post it here. On Reddit, the bastion of free speech and varying opinions. (laughs) Not so much. I have gone through therapy for this and trained in firearms because this was the creepiest night of my life. I spent a night in what felt like a horror movie and it's all still so vivid. It was a Wednesday night in the summer. I was off work. My husband was out of town and our son was staying at his grandma's for the night. I was home alone with my dogs an 80-pound Aussie mix, and an 80-pound German Shepherd Pitbull mix. I always have issues sleeping when I'm home alone, so I tend to just binge-watch TV in the living room until I can't keep my eyes open anymore. This particular night, I remembered that the trash pickup comes the next day, so I decided to turn on Game of Thrones for a bit, then I would take the trash out. All of a sudden, I realize it's 1.30 a.m., and I still haven't taken the trash to the curb. My house has two solid iron gates one in the front, and one to the side-slash-door-backyard. Lighting on our street, or anywhere in our neighborhood, isn't great, but it's a quiet neighborhood with a lot of families, and you rarely hear about crime here. I look out of the window by habit before before I take out the trash and saw who I thought was my neighbor smoking a cigarette outside of his gate across the street, staring directly at me. For context... This is a normal occurrence. My neighbor across the street hides, smoking cigarettes from his wife, so he typically does it late at night in front of his gate. I get off of work late, so I usually see him. We wave, say hi, chat a little bit sometimes, and then I go inside, and he makes the joke of, you didn't see me smoking, if my wife asks. So, unbothered by seeing the guy, I go outside, grab my trash cans, open my squeaky iron gate, and take them out to the curb. I did not have my glasses on me at the time, so as usual, I waved and said hello. However, the guy who I thought was my neighbor threw down the cigarette and quickly walked off down the street. It took a minute for me to register that this was not, in fact, my neighbor. I was a little creeped out because he was clearly staring into my window from the opposite sidewalk, but also maybe it was a guy taking a night walk, which is not unusual in our neighborhood. And I just and he had just stopped for a cigarette and to stare into my window. I thought I probably weirded him out. As much as he weirded me out, so I went back inside, laid on the couch with my dogs to keep watching Game of Thrones. At some point, I fell asleep and woke up hearing my gate squeak and my German Shepherd dog start growling. He's extremely protective of our family at home, but he's also the kind of dog you can take anywhere because he's so friendly in public. My Aussie is more passive, but his sheer size and scary bark tends to deter people. He's very friendly, though. I quickly got up and pulled back the curtain. My gate was still shut and I didn't see anything. My dog, however, continued to growl at the front door. I looked out another window, which had a better view of my front yard and the porch. I didn't see anything. Eventually, my dog settled back down with the other dog, but I was still uneasy. I ended up watching TV again because I just couldn't go back to sleep. About an hour later, I definitely heard my gate squeak. We are the only ones with heavy cast iron gates and the noise it makes is incredibly distinct. So I looked out the curtain while my dogs were continuing to growl softly. My gate was about halfway open but I didn't see anybody. At this point I'm panicking. In my panic I couldn't find my phone. I grabbed my wooden baseball bat out of our room, crouched down and started going through the couch cushions to get my phone. My dogs are oddly still quiet, growling instead of barking so I assume nobody was there. The minute I find my phone, my front door handle starts shaking. I run to the side door to let my German Shepherd out. I know he'll protect me, and he can jump the six-foot gate if he needs to. My Aussie, going crazy, busts out one of our door side-lits. I heard the guy say, oh shit, and immediately, I let out my GSD mix. German Shepherd mix, I guess. I jumped up to look out the window, saw my dog latch onto the guy's hand. The guy starts screaming and takes off down the street with my dog chasing him. I then became, became terrified that he'll hurt my dog, so I run out with my baseball bat, screaming my dog's name over and over and over again. The next thing I know, my dog is prancing down the street back towards me, happy as shit with blood all over his face. I called the police, and they took another hour or so to show up, and, I, and didn't seem to take me too seriously. They said they'd call local hospitals, but I never heard back. I called my husband crying, and he got on the next flight home. I stayed at his mother's for a few days, too terrified to go home. I did buy my dog's giant ribeyes for being so good and for saving my ass. I don't know what that guy wanted, but since then I've been trained in firearms and self-defense. So, creepy guy, let's not meet because my dog might finish the job that he started. Wow. Well, all in all, I guess you handled it pretty well. At least your door was locked and, you know, you had dogs that were tough. It always uh, strikes me as cute when people that don't know how to fight grab baseball bats like it's going to make a fucking difference. I mean, I guess if something's happening and you need to fight, fight, but come on, man. Should have just had a gun. Anyway, break time.
1: Wow, look at him. I'd do him right now. Yeah, me too. If he weren't bald.
2: You may not know it, but this happens to every man at least twice a day. If you're balding, you might as well kiss sex goodbye. Even if you're 16 and have a full head of hair, women can tell if you're going to go bald. And that spells trouble, let's face it. Women hate bald men, except basketball players. What causes baldness? Don't take this the wrong way, but the explanation may be downstairs. It's bald, and it wants you to be too. Through a partially scientific study, doctors have determined that an abundance of testosterone causes baldness. And let's be honest, who needs testosterone? Now science brings you Castrodon. Castrodon goes to the glands that produce testosterone and kills them, protecting your hair and saving your sex life. Within a few days, you'll notice a big difference. You'll begin to look and feel different. If you're willing to do anything to stop the unspeakable from happening to you, take Castrodon, remember. Baldness is loneliness. May impair driving, timekeeping, map reading, and home improvement skills. Castrodon may also cause periodic moodiness, retail addiction, face painting, and menstruation.
1: Pompous. I'm running on air. I'm walking on clouds. I don't exercise. I don't care. Pompous. <sighs> <sighs> I pay top dollar for these incredible high-technology polyester shoes to walk around the mall and shop for more sports equipment I won't play sports in. I need to get more from life, much more. I need to get high, really high, high on air. Oh, yeah, these Aeros shoes really pump up. That's right. You can now buy some air. The science of sports and marketing results in a shoe that pumps. Sounds silly to you? What if we told you that Eras Pump Up would improve your game by 300%? But I don't have a game. You gotta have games. game. Be a winner. Pump up and slam (laughs) dunk. Oh yeah! God, the size of your shoes! You'll shave seconds off your personal best! Oh yeah! You mean I can whack off even more times a day? Pump it. Absolutely! Probably five times more! Because you'll be walking on air! You'll feel so much more athletic after pumping up your shoes, you'll automatically lose weight and feel high tech! Just like the sports stars! You are a star! Now you're a winner with air in his shoes! Now I can reach for the stars! I've pumped up my ego! Pump it! Pump it up! With Eris.
0: Alright, now this next one is called Tinder Date That Turned... Weird. I went on a Tinder date some time ago while I was adjusting to a new city I had moved to. I didn't really know anybody there, so I used some online dating apps to see the dating scene around town. I landed one girl. I landed one from a girl that seemed just like an artsy, hippie type of girl. We had a few exchanges through the Tinder app and then decided to meet up for a drink. I picked her up at her house and she greeted me at the door and gave me a hug. She said the name of a local bar she wanted to go to for us to chat and get to know each other. I told her I would drive and proceeded to my car. The first red flag I noticed was when I walked to my car and opened the door. She had just followed me to the driver's side and was standing behind me staring. I looked at her blankly for about 15 seconds and asked her if she was going to get in and she said sure I'd love to and went the long way around at the passenger side around the back of the car. Since I had just met the girl, I figured she had just maybe smoked some weed or something, as I had kind of got that vibe that she was a a, a bit of a stoner. As I was driving to the bar, she talked in a very low voice, almost as if she was trying to whisper. I'm not hard of hearing or anything, but I had to ask her to repeat herself several times just so I could make out the full sentences she was saying. When we got to the bar, I made sure we got a seat close to the back, away from most people, just so I could have a little quiet in order to hear her. The conversations honestly carried on as normal from that point on, and it was actually a fun time for the time being. We talked about different things we were interested in, and she did bring bring up that she uh, recreationally smoked weed and a few other tripping substances, like shrooms and what have you. I'm not much of a fan of these, but... It had at least made me relax in the back of my mind to think that maybe she was just high off marijuana. <laughs> and that rationally explained some some of her uh, out-there out behavior, so to speak. Granted, I had a few drinks at this point, so I was honestly not thinking straight. <laughs> you're drinking to the point that you're not able to think straight and you're judging her for smoking weed? Douche. I asked her if she wanted to go to my place after drinks and she agreed. When we got to my place, we had a few more drinks, then she started talking about her jewelry. This is where it gets weird. She told me her jewelry was her big secret, and it defined her. When I asked her why it was so important, she said, Actually, I'm Anastasia, and I was never killed in Russia. My jewelry is my link to my past. It was hard for me to take that seriously at this point with how much I drank, so I kind of challenged that statement using the little bit I knew about history. At this point, she freaked out and started yelling at the top of her lungs about how I don't respect her ancestors and her history. Then she got quiet and tiptoed right up to me and grabbed me by the neck. She then brought my face eye to eye with hers while she was holding my neck. She says at this point, I'm a shaman and I will curse you. My ancestors have destroyed many people and you do not respect that. You are from oppressive ancestors and they will be punished. Then she put her hand in a whiskey glass and made a cross on my face and kissed my forehead. Cute. At this point, I started to sober up a little. I talked her into calming down, telling her I was only joking. Then she slowly started getting back to normal. Then she started talking about her cat fetish. She tells me she has a list of people who she tames to act as cats. I'm not about judging people on their fetishes, so I listen in. Then she tells me all the things she does to them and starts acting like a cat in my living room. If she had not yelled at me earlier on, I may have been turned on a little bit. My red, but the red flags in my head were tingling like crazy at this point, so I just listened and tried not to set her off. She noticed sage on my kitchen counter and asked me to let her light it and bless the house. Side note, I use sage to make my house smell better occasionally. It's kind of a ritual I like to do, but it's mine and my own, something I take very personally and like to do myself. So I tell her no. She can't light it, and then it's my own thing to do. Then she freaks out, telling me I'm a horrible human being and screaming all over the place. I tell her I can I I tell her I can take her home now, and she runs to the door and goes outside. As I get outside, she's screaming at the top of her lungs that I'm a horrible person and I should go die. I tell her she can walk herself home then and go back to my place and lock the door. She then starts banging on the door hard for about 10 minutes, saying she left her phone in there. I grab her phone off the kitchen counter and open the door and hand it to her. She tries to barge inside and I block her with my forearm. She then acts like she's about to punch me. I just hold my ground and tell her that she's not coming in. She screams she wanted the whiskey bottle we were drinking from. I told her, hell no, because I paid for it. I slam the door at that point and I lock it. I hear her bang on the door for a minute. I then hear her footsteps going down the stairs. I waited about an hour and then went walking outside to see if she was still hanging around. I didn't see her, nor did I ever see her again after that. I know this is probably not the scariest encounter ever, but for the next few nights I was creeped out and always walking around the area I lived to make sure she wasn't hanging around. I honestly hope she's okay wherever she is, but I genuinely hope to never fucking see her again. Man, that's a good one. <laughs> that is a uh, that is remarkably believable too. God damn. She's screaming about how she's Anastasia. Didn't, didn't the Russian aristocracy get killed, like, in World War I? I think. Pretty sure. Yeah, because the, the civil war in Russia was around the same time. I have something to tell you. I'm a 90-year-old Russian orphan girl. I'm the last daughter of Nicholas II. Why don't you believe me? You're the oppressor. <laughs> God... Dating game is scary these days. Speaking of that, this next one is called How My Friend's Date Almost Got Us Killed and Dumped in a Ditch. Sounds promising. Back when I was around 17 or 18, I would go to parties with my friend at night. It was my best friend at the time, Ivan, and his cousin Caesar that would invite me out that fateful night. I had been talking to a friend of Ivan on Facebook about meeting each other, and since I really hadn't had much experiences with girls, I thought it was now or never. This girl had a birthday party that day and invited us all to join her. So I took a bath and got ready, and my friends pulled up for me in a small car named Atos that was really popular in Mexico in the early 2000s, since it was small and really good at saving gas and not too expensive, so the perfect car for a college student. So it's essentially the... uh The Mexican Ford Fiesta? I said bye to my mom and got in. We went to buy beer for the night and a pack of smokes for everybody, but then I would smoke a lot. I still cringe about it, but in college, it was just my thing, I suppose. My friend told us that he had been in contact with this girl on Facebook and that she she had accepted to come to the party with him tonight. We all were impressed and happy for him. We pulled to her house and parked near a park to wait for her. I remember a group of goons walking around the park, but since they seemed about our age, we weren't too bummed out. My friends called her to come out, and my friend Caesar stepped out for a smoke, and I was sitting in the back of the car not wanting to come out because of the goons outside. They seemed to be looking for trouble because they began arguing about something really dumb with my friend, so my friend Ivan told me to step out just to have his back in case anything went down. I'm not particularly strong, but I'm almost 6 feet tall, and with a winter coat on, I tried my best to appear big enough for them to think twice. I lit a cigarette and pretended to be tough, and looked at the guy, and laughed. Somehow it worked, and they left. We went to the party, and we had a great time. I made out all night with the girl I was talking to, and later found out that she had kissed pretty much every dude that was there before me. Ha ha. Nevertheless, I was still grateful for the opportunity, and said goodbye with another long kiss. As we headed back to the house of my friend's date, she seemed very quiet. I knew they had hit it off during the party, but she looked stiff and even a little bit scared. My buddy and I were riding in the back to let them have the front to themselves, but she just nervously was looking at her phone. When we arrived, she wanted to get out, and my friend, trying to score points, said, Wait, I'll walk you to the door. She did not like this and said, Just go. We were a bit buzzed in the back and wanted to have a smoke, so we all stepped outside and watched them go to the door. I remember laughing about something my friend said when the mood suddenly became dark. She started screaming, Go now, get out of here. The car pulled out nearly in front of us, and people with bats and blunt objects got out so fast I barely remember how I got in the back seat. The girl said something along the lines of, Leave him alone, and held him him while a bunch of dudes got out. My friend Ivan got into the driving seat and started the car. Thankfully, it started right up without trouble but a big bottle of liquor then hit the windshield cracking the top corner. I saw some guys come from the right side of the car where we were standing and quickly went to the other side to let my friend have an easy way back into the right seat. As I turned the corner, I saw this massive-looking guy coming up to me and barely had time to close the door and pull the lock down. The dude was punching my window. My other friend wasn't so lucky since he actually got hit in the head and had barely made it to the car. He couldn't even close the door because one guy was grabbing on his leg. All of this happened in the span of six seconds. I acted all out of instinct and thankfully we all got in and my friends stepped on the gas while zigzagging in case they would shoot at us. We all were scared shitless and wondering what had happened. As we got back to our neighborhood, my friends were fuming mad. Both of them knew how to fight and could hold their own. I, on the other hand, am turning 30 next year and have still never been in a fight. Thankfully, I still have some cash left and told them we should go buy some illegal beer at midnight and tried my best to calm them down and convinced them not to go back to fight the guys. My friend Caesar had actually woken a dude up in the middle of the night with a phone call and the man was ready to show up and throw down. After a few beers and a lot of talking, I convinced them it wasn't worth it and to just let the night end. I got home, my parents never found out, and I just fell asleep. The next few days, my friend Ivan called me and told me that the girl's ex-boyfriend was actually a lead gang member, a gang known for beating the hell out of people and dropping them in water canals all around the city. My heart dropped out of my chest. We had been seconds away from getting beat downed and maybe killed by a bunch of goons for some goddamn date my friend was on. If it wasn't for our quick reaction time, her backing them up a little bit, and something outside this realm that wanted us to get away, we might not have made it. To this day, I still stay awake at night, thinking of how fast and out of nowhere situations like this can present themselves in your life, and how many times have we avoided critical dangers such as this. All I can say is trust your gut and your instincts. In the end, it all happens so fast, that's all you're going to have. P.S. Typed this out really fast. Sorry for the bad grammar. Thanks for reading. Well, shit. That's why you always run background checks on people you're dating what i say invade their privacy (laughs) keep your ass safe keep your ass out of trouble i say that sometimes sometimes i say that anyway break time
2: you think you're american but do
1: you drink american
0: lager the beer that brought the forest down
1: i like to relax after a hard day at work and i like to relax hard get really drunk so drunk you can't tell your sister from your wife now that's fun and now I could do it without gaining pounds thanks to new logger lights drink even more gain less it's the logger light promise At first the guys were like I didn't know you drank light beer are you gonna start wearing dresses and drinking wine coolers too Well then I explained it facilitated alcoholism without the intended weight gain and they really switched now we're all logger men. Lager light, we're light in the beer, not in the loafers. He was a man at war with himself, fighting a war that someone else lost. It's over, Tim. The war is over. It's never
0: over. You see him wipe out. Exploder. Now Jack Howitzer is Tim in his most challenging role yet.
1: We're here, Tim.
0: A preschool
1: for slow children. You're the new teacher, Tim. Special needs cop. It's the story of a
0: psychotic ex-marine showing tough love to special ed kids. One of you
1: tards has been running Peruvian Flake through the special ed school, and I'm gonna find it. No juice and cookies. You You suck, Tim.
0: But soon, he becomes one of them.
1: What is this? That's Teacher's gun. You want to see it? Oh, you got it, shot yourself. Way to go.
0: He was finally beginning to live a normal life. Then, all hell breaks loose.
1: Tim, you're so stupid. You count with your fingers. You want to party with me? Bring it on!
0: He had a lot to learn. This film cannot be rated. All right. This one, the author has mentioned numerous times, uh, has a trigger warning, they say. Uh, There are aspects of sexual assault, mention of rape, and mention of drug use. So if you are sensitive to these issues, you've been warned. I've been meaning to post this year for a while. I wrote my first draft back in April, so it's taken a long time and a lot of therapy for me to be able to think about this experience. I've noticed how many people's stories take place over the weeks, months, even years, so I'm here to tell you that mine only occurred in 12 hours of my life. I managed to block out a lot of the memories surrounding this night, but early this year I was mugged and my PTSD returned, as did a lot of the missing memories of those 12 hours. This is the first time I'm telling anybody the full story of what happened to me. I haven't told my partner, my therapist, my parents, nobody knows the details. If there's anything that should be taken away from my story, it's this. Remember, you don't need to be polite to everyone you meet. I couldn't agree more. Be rude to people. They'll leave you the fuck alone. That's my uh, that's my go-to. The setting. In October 2018, I was 18. It was my first year at university in a big city in the UK. I had always lived in the countryside before this, so I was never very street smart. About a year before I went to the university, I had started a relationship with this guy. His name was Jimmy. He's now my ex. It was my first real relationship, and I thought the world of him. But it was not reciprocated in a loving and compassionate way. Jimmy started off as very emotionally abusive and got progressively worse, worse, but that's a whole other story. Now at this point, Jimmy and I had been together for just under a year and had applied to universities in the same city, mostly by coincidence, but we ended up both moving to the same city. I wanted to have a proper student life, so I got accommodation in a student block on the other side of the city to him. Jimmy had been using drugs for quite a while, initially starting off just smoking weed, but this progressed rapidly, and by the time we were at university, he was regularly doing a lot of hard drugs, plus smoking weed multiple times a day. Honestly, I don't think he was ever sober. Huh. When we moved to university, we still saw each other every couple of days, and he found a regular drug dealer, Mark, that he had been using continuously since we got there in September. Jimmy used to buy from Mark multiple times a week, so on a handful of occasions I had briefly met him. Mark lived a lot closer to my student accommodation than to Jimmy, so a couple weeks before this all happened, Jimmy had started picking up drugs from Mark when he came to see me, meaning Mark would often be outside my my accommodations. Not cool, dude. Jimmy had asked me a few times if I would pick up the drugs that he bought from Mark, but I always had felt weird speaking to Mark on my own. Plus, I rarely smoked weed, so I felt weird picking up drugs in general. Yeah, dude, don't do that for him. That's his fucking problem. 6 p.m. One day at the end of October, Jimmy had plans to come and see me that evening and asked me again if he would pick up some weed from Mark. I was in a good mood that day and feeling more confident than usual, so for the first time, I agreed to it. Jimmy gave me Mark's number and said that Mark would message me when he was on his way. Only around ten minutes later I got a message from Mark saying that he was nearly outside my apartment and needed, and I needed to go outside, so I did. Outside of my accommodation there was a quieter area with a lot of benches, so I sat and waited for him. Behind me was only a wall and a small contained area that had all the bins for the building. Out of nowhere I felt someone's hands on my shoulders in a really weird and creepy way. I jumped, obviously, and realized it was Mark, who I barely recognized as I had only seen him a couple of times. I realized now that my back had been to the wall and the bin storage, so he must have been waiting there. I was immediately on guard because of how he touched my shoulders, especially because I didn't know him, so I shifted away from him and he sat down next to me. He began talking to me as if we were buddies, asking me a million and one questions about myself, like deeply personal questions. The whole time I was deflecting, not wanting to give out any information, so I uh, started asking questions about him instead. He began a really deep monologue about himself and his life when he openly told me that he had just gotten out of prison a few months before. It was for armed something, some kind of violent crime. I engaged his ramblings, just nodding along, but still trying to get back to the, the whole point of just picking up drugs for my boyfriend. Ugh, this is why you don't let dope dealers talk, man, they never shut the fuck up. 7pm. Not that I would know. So I've been told. I have always been able to talk to anybody, and was always taught to be nice when somebody is talking, so I ended up sitting there for around an hour and a half trying to get the conversation back to the reason I was there, to pick up drugs for my boyfriend and to go. It was so long it actually started to get dark. This guy just kept talking. I knew my boyfriend was going to be coming over soon, so I kept looking at my phone to see if he was on his way, and but he hadn't replied. Eventually, I told Mark that I needed to get back inside as I was meeting up with my boyfriend soon and then going clubbing after with some friends, so I needed to get ready, and could I please just pick up the drugs? He then said, Oh well, I can't give them to you here, there's CCTV everywhere. We can go inside so I can give them to you there. I had witnessed him giving my boyfriend drugs in the same spot countless times before, so I knew that this was fucking bullshit. I didn't want Mark to come back to my apartment, so I told him he could go into the lobby of my building, where there was a disabled bathroom, he could give them to me there. He agreed and followed me inside. We went into the bathroom. It was a very large room, so I didn't have to be too close to him, and he locked the door behind us. He then began fiddling with something in his pocket. I assumed it was the drugs, but instead he pulled down his pants fully and started peeing in the toilet. I was hugely freaked out. This guy just presented his dick to me and began peeing, but I rationalized that there was no way he had any sexual motive because he had met me and my boyfriend together, so he knew I was in a relationship. I just figured he really needed to piss. I'd kept my eyes shut the whole time, and when he flushed, I thought he, fi- he finally would give me the drugs that I was there to collect. This whole thing had been going on for about an hour and a half by this point. He said, I really want to roll myself a joint, but there's no space here to do it. Can I come and roll it at your desk, and I'll just give you Jimmy stuff in there? I asked again if he could just give it to me now, and he said no, saying that I was being rude for not inviting him in. But at this point, I was wanting to get ready to go out with my friends for later in that evening, and I knew my boyfriend would be coming by any minute, so I figured it would be okay, even though I didn't want this. It's worth nothing that I—oh, you know, it's worth noting that I was emotionally abused by my boyfriend and knew he would be mad at me if I didn't collect his drugs, or if I annoyed Mark because he was his favorite dealer. I honestly figured that Mark was harmless, despite him telling me that he was a violent criminal and whatnot, and just assumed and just assumed myself that he was only a bit creepy, and it would be fine. Reluctantly, I took Mark up to my apartment, opened the door, and let him in. I said he had to roll his joint fast because I had to get ready. Finally, he gave me the drugs that my boyfriend wanted, so I felt better at that point. He walked over to my desk, moved all my things to the side, and sat down, getting out the things to roll his joint. I can't roll the joint, but I've seen Jimmy do it countless times, so I know it doesn't take more than a minute or so. Mark keeps trying to talk to me, but at this point, my answers are getting shorter and shorter. He rolls the joint so slowly, I cannot even describe it. He then says, Well, I can't smoke this outside, so is it cool if I stay here and smoke it? It'll only take five minutes or so to smoke. I said no, and told him that I had to get ready. He replied, It's okay, you can get ready with me here. By this point I was over it. I messaged my boyfriend again to tell him to hurry up. Mark asked me again and in my frustration Mark asked me again and in my frustration and wanting this guy out of my apartment I said okay sure, just be quick. I then went out of my room into the shared kitchen. I only had two flatmates and no one else was in the apartment that night. I grabbed a wine glass so that I could have some solitary pre drinks and returned to my room. I sat for another fifteen minutes, being increasingly less polite, but he just kept talking to me. I drank my first glass of wine pretty fast and just decided if Mark was going to take ages, then I would just get ready ready on my own and go out with my friends. I told him that as soon as he finished smoking, he could just leave on his own. So I left him sitting at my desk, took some clothes into my bathroom, and jumped in the shower. 9 p.m. Maybe about a minute or so into my shower, I heard soft footsteps outside the door. And like a scene from a horror movie, I saw the door handle slowly being pushed down. Thank fuck I remembered to lock it. All of a sudden, Mark began banging on the door. I turned the shower off and said, uh, hi, through the door. He shouted through the door, asking me to let him in because he needed to take a piss again. I obviously said no, and he got, and and just got dried and dressed. Thankfully, I took clothes to the bathroom, and I got dressed as fast as I could. By this point, I figured there was no way he was going to leave my apartment until I did, so I did my makeup as fast as I physically could and messaged my friends that I'd be coming to their house sooner than I had planned. I still hadn't gotten a reply from my boyfriend, so I just told him that I was going out early and not to come over. I got ready to go and told Mark that I was leaving now and that he needed to come downstairs with me. He was still sitting at my desk and ignored what I was saying. He asked if he could stay in my room while I was out because he was tired and wanted to nap. Finally, I was firm with him, and after a lot of convincing, he left with me. I made sure to order an Uber to my friend's place so that, I, so that he couldn't try and walk with me, and by the time we got outside, my Uber was nearly there. He stood with me, looking over my shoulder at my phone the whole time. Then the Uber arrived. I got into it, and Mark straight up walked to the other side and got in. I was in disbelief and laughed, then told the Uber driver that I didn't know who this guy was and that he wasn't getting in with me. The Uber driver was not as polite as me and told Mark to get out, and he did. 10 p.m. I sat there on the way to my friend's house and finally felt calm that I had gotten away from Mark. I called my friend from Uber, from the Uber, and told her what happened. So, she said she would come outside of her building to get me with a group of her flatmates. My friend's accommodation was not far from mine, and took longer to get there by car than on foot because of the, the way the system... Because of the one-way system in the city, but I didn't care at this point. Maybe 10-15 to minutes later I arrived and my friend came over to my Uber, then brought me back to her group of friends. She had quite a few people with her and I suddenly noticed that one of her male flatmates was talking to somebody slightly away from the group. I looked over and suddenly realized he was talking to Mark. I guess he was looking at the address when I had the Uber app open earlier. I whispered to my friend and she freaked out and went inside with me straight away. I was super freaked out that this guy wouldn't just leave me alone. He refused to leave my side for a few hours, and now he had followed me to my friend's house. Honestly, I felt much safer now, and met a few, I've met a few creeps in my time, so I decided to get over it by having a nice time with my friend. So we sat in the kitchen, having a chat and some drinks. 11 p.m. After a while talking to her, I almost forgot what had happened just over an hour ago, and was getting increasingly tipsy from the wine. The kitchen door opened and her male flatmate comes in, announcing that he invited a guy in who had given him free weed. You guessed it, Mark walked in. Mark addressed me by name and walked over, putting his hands around my waist from behind. I get pretty confident when I drink, so I had no problem pushing him off me and announcing to everybody in a joking way, yeah, this is the guy that's been following me around all evening, I don't know him. Even in this room, with all of my friend's flatmates, I still didn't feel safe. He stayed away from me, looking at me for a while from the other side of the kitchen, and I just ignored him. My friend could tell I was uncomfortable, so suggested that we go drink in her room. Around 30 minutes after going into her room, the door slams open suddenly, and Mark is standing there. He says, oh, I was looking for the bathroom. Can I use yours? My friend had one in her room. She tells him to get the fuck out, and he does. I'm honestly just bored of this guy's constant presence at this point. Constant presence at this point. So we just decide to go to the club early. 12 a.m. We grab our stuff, run past the kitchen door and outside. My friends order us an Uber and we get in and go to the club. After a while, some of her flatmates join us, but Mark does not. Thank fuck. The people who had been in the kitchen and said that Mark had said that Mark left shortly after me and my friend left, but there was no sign of him now. I just try to enjoy the night, but being a poor student, I can't afford any more drinks at the club. As I begin to sober up, I realized how shaken up and creeped out the whole evening had made me, and I definitely don't feel safe. 2 a.m. After only a couple of hours, I decide that I just want to go home and sleep because the whole experience freaked me the fuck out. I take an Uber back, use my keycard to get into my apartment building, go upstairs and into my apartment. I started getting ready for bed put on some PJs, and started taking off my makeup, and all of a sudden I heard a loud knock on my door. I had no clue who it was, but since it was still early-ish for a Friday night, I thought my boyfriend maybe finally decided to show up. My door didn't have a peephole, so I walked to the door in my PJs, unlocked it, planning to open it a tiny bit to see who was there, and then BAM! The door flew open so fast that I was pushed backwards into my apartment and shoved into my room, which was directly across from my front door. In my panic, I froze, then looked up only to realize that Mark was now standing in my apartment. The realization started to sink in. Mark had just forced his way into my room and I was trapped here with him. He was visibly angry and very high. He locked the door behind him and began rambling about how I was so rude for not inviting him in with my friends, for ignoring him and for not letting him in the Uber, etc. I was terrified, so I ran over to my bed and grabbed my phone. He walked over behind me and began grabbing me touching me as much as he could, so I shouted at him to get off. He saw my phone in my hand and immediately smiled, and told me to open the camera. I was terrified, so did as he said. He wanted a picture of us together. I did as I was told. I took a selfie with him, while he posed with his arms around me, and kissing my cheeks and neck. He then screamed at me to unlock my phone, so I did. He made me open up my messages and send Jimmy the selfie of me and Mark sitting next to each other, on my bed, so I did. He waited for it to send and then grabbed my phone and put it down on the desk. He sat at my desk for the next four to five hours, talking at me continually, saying how I was so rude, I needed someone to teach me some manners, how I had to do what he said because he was older than me, how Jimmy wasn't good enough for me, how I was so beautiful, and how he knew that I needed to be with him. He told me that his girlfriend knew he had been at my house that evening and now she said he can't go home and it's all my fault. The whole time I can continued bargaining with him, trying to get him to leave, but it didn't work. Occasionally, I would just lie down on my bed or sit and not speak. Each time I did, he would get up and wrap his arms around me or try to spoon with me, stroking my face, trying to kiss me and trying to take off my clothes and touch me. Every time I fought him off, he would get angry again and go sit at the desk and keep shouting. I knew that this guy had previously been in prison for some kind of a violent crime, so I didn't want to make him too mad. I just sat there for hours and quietly sobbed, too scared of trying to leave because I would have to walk past him to get to the door. I was out of options. I didn't know if I could get out without angering him. I couldn't call the police because he had my phone and my flatmates weren't in so my screams didn't mean anything to anybody. 6 a.m. While he sat at my desk, he kept smoking weed or taking a line of some kind of drug so was becoming more and more out of it. He was becoming more sleepy as he smoked more weed until I was able to speak to him between ramblings. So I gently said I was going to the bathroom. I noticed he had his eyes partially closed and I figured I only had one chance. So I took the opportunity and grabbed my phone off the desk as fast as I could, unlocked the door and ran out of the apartment. The one thing I will always remember is being in tears, pressing the button for the elevator to come probably about 50 times because I was so scared he was going to come after me. As I got into the elevator, I heard him come out of my apartment, shouting my name, but the elevator doors closed as he looked at me. I was able to get downstairs and out of the building. I ran around the corner of my building in my pajamas, and manically dialed the number for the police. I told them what happened and that this guy had been in prison until recently, and the next thing I knew, around five police cars showed up. I was in such a state, and called my boyfriend to tell him what happened. He was still awake and hadn't come to visit that night because he was with a girl who is a quote-unquote friend, and said that now he didn't want to come to be with me because he had some weed on him and didn't want to be near the police. I told him to get to my place right now, and he reluctantly did. The Aftermath The police had to force entry into my apartment because Mark had locked himself in and barricaded the door. They arrested him, and he ended up going to prison for drug charges, but not for what he did slash tried to do to me. The police said they couldn't prosecute him, because I had willingly let him into my apartment earlier in the night, and he hadn't physically done anything uh, to me, like sexual assault and attempted rape, plus holding me hostage in my own apartment, but okay. After I had given my statements to the police, I went back inside to see that after I had escaped my room, it was trashed. Mark had thrown things around and smashed things in anger. I'm so glad I got out of there when I did, because I can't imagine what would have happened if I was trapped in the crossfire. I don't know what happened to Mark after that, but I moved out of that apartment and a couple of months later and away from the city as soon as I could when COVID hit. Also uh, partially to make sure that Mark could never find me. I actually stayed in my emotionally re- abusive relationship for another year or so until I realized that I was too good to put up with Jimmy's shit. I had such severe PTSD from the incident that I couldn't go outside for months afterwards, which messed up the whole year, my whole first year at university. It has taken until now for me to be able to walk around at night and being alone in public is still really difficult for me. I'm well aware that the ending is very anticlimactic and I wish I had been able to advocate for myself but I just shut down emotionally afterwards. I can't get too much into the details of the sexual assault and attempted rape because honestly thinking about it makes me want to throw up. But I realize I was so lucky to be able to fight him off every time because without a doubt he wanted to hurt me. After this all happened, I started volunteering with people in prison for crimes like sexual assault to try and prevent them from ever reoffending. I think this is my way of advocating for others because I couldn't advocate for myself. If you take one thing away from this, stop being so polite. I was raised to be nice to everybody and I realize now that being polite made everything worse. I wish I had never been so, so polite to pick up drugs for my ex or polite enough to let Mark into my apartment when he begged. So to Mark, fuck you, let's not ever meet again. Wow, interesting story. And we're gonna take a quick break. The real life fictional drama in lives
1: behind the law in the show that is making America cry. These IF-75s are a mess, and we're already three months late with the UCC addendum after we lost the Eighth Circuit paperwork the first time around. jeez, I really need to whack off.
0: Law, they play
1: hard and they work hard. Really hard. Catch it Thursdays on Weasel, before it catches you. Vinewood, the stars, fast sports cars, the hot nightclubs, success. It doesn't happen overnight. Or does it? If you want to make it as an international film star, you have to start at the bottom. That's where we come in. At Dreammakers, we'll show you the path to success. Our Eastern European acting coaches will give you all the skills you need for auditioning in the entertainment industry. My name's Philip. I enjoy pretending to be other people. Dreammakers helped me succeed in that goal. After some intense acting lessons, now I perform each day for thousands of people at the Glory Hole theme park. I came to Dreammakers because I want to dance on Broadway. They taught me how to use my natural talents to succeed. Now I get to dance every night for money. I succeed one dollar at a time. I did it. I'm in entertainment. If you really want it, you know you have to pay top dollar for the best coaching and career advice. We'll help point you on the path to success. Um, I'm fat, boring, and have no ideas of my own. Perfect. Why not be a movie producer?
2: I'm attractive.
1: But I can hardly read, let alone act. You're going to have to sleep your way to the top. Starting now. For only $45,000, Dream Makers will have you on your way to success. Call today.
0: All right, this next one is the one that I've been most excited about. It's titled, oh, it's alleged that it's verified too. the people at Reddit that don't know their asshole from a hole in the ground say that this one is true. I'll be the judge of that. It's titled, I owed a biker gang $260,000 and ran. This is a true story, hence the throwaway account, and it's one of the first times I've ever admitted it to anybody. Fifteen years ago, I made one of the worst decisions of my life. I began dealing for a well-known biker gang. No, I wasn't a member, but I had connections to one of their members through my mutual friend, Josh. I had a short history in in dealing years before but got clean and walked the straight and narrow i worked three jobs and was saving for college however tragedy struck when a very close relative of mine was murdered by her new husband while they were traveling in his home country what made this even more difficult is that they had is that they had canceled their life insurance so the cost of returning them to our country and the funeral arrangements fell on me and two other close relatives No, this isn't an excuse for what I did. I just wanted to provide some context to what was going through my head when I met Josh and asked him to set me up with a meeting with his relative Mike, who was a member of said well-known biker gang, so that I could get back on my feet financially. If you're asking yourself why I didn't just pursue one of the million other avenues for financial assistance, it's because I was young, stupid, and wanted to replace the lost feeling with something I thought would make me feel better about myself at the time. So I gathered a team of hand-picked dealers at my house and waited for Mike to come by and discuss business. And soon enough, he arrives with two pounds of weed to front to me. My plan was to only involve myself by distributing to my runners so that I could work my regular jobs while making passive income. Side note, I had known Mike for about a year at this point, which is why so much was given up front. The term front, for those of you that don't know, means to loan. And the term runner refers to a dealer who, who who works for you. Thank you. I had no idea. Things went well over the next year and a half. My team expanded. I was making a ton of money. I sold the weed to my runners by the ounce, paid a discount per the pound, and was making hundreds in profit a week and thousands a month. I was happy, and Mike was happy. And he only ever had to deal with me and never had to meet or address any of my runners. However, this is where the story takes a drastic turn for the worse and why you should never trust a biker gang, especially when you're not working on the inside. I had just hired a good friend of mine as a runner. She needed the money. She was a single mother and wanted to sell it to her friends who came over and always wanted weed. The girl ended up selling through ounces faster than anybody else, so I trusted her with more product to sell at once since I would have to come come back two or three times a week. However, I was going on vacation for three weeks and wanted to make sure that she had access to enough while I was away so I left her with a lot more than I usually would anybody else. When I returned, I had come to collect, and everybody but her was up to date on their payments, and after and excuse after excuse, she came to inform me that her new scale was set to the wrong measurement system and that she was out a good amount. I was upset and nearly kicked her off the team, but I've known this girl for years, and it wasn't anything I couldn't recover on my own. However, she came to me when I was supposed to meet up with Mike to re-up, which means collect more product. And because this took a lot longer than I thought, I was late to meet him. Now remember when I said that you should never trust a biker unless you operate on the inside. I met up with Mike to let him know what had happened, apologized for being late, and informed him that the situation had been dealt with, but Mike was furious. He tells me that because I was late, he was late meeting his connect for the weed, and since he was late, this connect would never deal with him again. He told me to meet him at Josh's house and to bring who was responsible for making me late, and if I didn't bring them then I would be held accountable because this connect had made him nearly $5,000 a week in profit. Yes, you read that right. This man told me that him being late once dissolved a profitable relationship with a connect that earned him $5,000 a week. I already knew what this meant for my runner. We were good friends, and there's no way I was going to allow a single mother to go through what I knew was coming. So I showed up to Josh's house on my own and waited for Mike. I sat on Josh's couch for what felt like hours, by myself, and uncertain of the extent of what was going to happen. Then Mike walks in, greets Josh, talks with his partners a bit while completely ignoring me. The first five minutes go by, then ten minutes. Then Mike walks over, and I remember waking up on the floor. From what I was told, Mike hit me across the head, and then I blacked out. He proceeded to hit me for two to three more minutes until I woke up to him still hitting me. We sat on the couch, and with a handgun to my head, he tells me, that he is going to charge me the profit he would have made every week from his connect for the next year. For those keeping track, that's $260,000. He tells me that he's going to be generous enough to do the first payment of $5,000 within 48 hours, that the money that I just gave him for my re-ups didn't count, and that I needed to return the weed, and that he was giving me 24 hours for each additional five grand after that. He took my car, which he underpriced at $10,000. It was a newish Mercedes at the time, and I was still making payments on it, and essentially planned on using me as a human ATM. At this point, I knew what was happening, and despite our relationship for the past year, he was going to exploit me for as long as he could until he had a reason to get rid of me. So I went home and thought about my options. I had around seventeen grand in cash, my RRSP savings, which amounted to just over thirty-five grand. But even that would only get me by on the payments for a week. I realized that, even if I was able to come up with half the money, I would end up in jail or worse. After 24 hours of deliberating, I considered the fact that Mike had never met any of my runners. My family had moved away from this town after the death of the relative, and there was no way that I was going to risk my life or my freedom for some arbitrary debt, so I took all my cash, made my savings available, and knew I only had 24 hours to run as fast and as far as I could. 4.30 a.m. I gathered a bag full of clothes, called a lifelong friend of mine who had moved to another country four hours away, explained the situation, asked if I could stay on his couch for a week, and took a bus as close to the Greyhound station as I could without stopping in front of it. The Greyhound didn't require a photo ID at the time, and I didn't want to fly out of my own city in case anybody saw me or Mike was able to figure out where I was going by pressing any of the airport staff. At this point, my heart was beating out of my chest because although the Greyhound isn't as busy as the airport, if Mike or anybody he knew saw me there, it was game over. I waited an hour, then walked inside, and bought a ticket for a city three and a half hours away that had an airport. Before boarding, I wrote down all my important contacts, removed the battery from my phone, and dropped it down in the sewer and began my escape. 8.15 a.m. I stop in said country and buy a ticket to go and meet my said friend. 12.30 p.m. I land in a country I've never been to, in a city I've never been to. My friend picks me up and we talk about the situation the entire way home. He and I had similar past and the story itself is ridiculous he understands. When we arrive at his place I cut my hair, decide on a new name I'll go by while staying in the city while deciding my next move. I get a new prepaid phone and number and try to relax. 6.00 p.m. I was supposed to meet Mike 30 minutes ago. The stress starts to kick in. 8pm. We've been drinking and telling stories and I remember that I hadn't deleted my Facebook so I jump onto my friend's laptop, throw on a VPN that was located in my home country and was met with a flood of messages. Josh and Mike had kicked in my front door and destroyed my place. They left messages with the addresses of places that they thought I was hiding out. They told me that they were watching the airport and the Greyhound station and told me that it would be impossible for me to leave the city. It was at that point that I realized they knew I'd left. Throughout the coming weeks, months, and years, I made a habit of changing phones and moved around from city to city and country to country. I even did those work-for-your-accommodation programs in a couple of countries as a quote-unquote tourist. Every few weeks and months, I would get an email from a single friend back home who would tell me that Josh or his girlfriend were telling people to assure me that it was okay to come back and things had blown over. A couple times, I even tried to reach out to some other friends back home, only to find that they were trying to cash in on the reward Mike had placed on anybody who knew where I was. It eventually became easier to cut contact with anybody and everyone around me if I felt I needed to move or felt that I couldn't entirely trust him. I could never go back to who I was or where I came from, physically or mentally. I later found out that Mike had a nasty habit of hiring dealers, Then, when he thought they had made a good amount of money, he would conjure up some dire situation in which they would need to pay him back a crazy amount. He would drain them for every dime that they had until they couldn't pay any After that, they would usually end up in a ditch somewhere. One of his associates, who happened to be my next-door neighbor back home, was recently charged for first-degree murder after taking a woman out to the woods and killing her. Although this did a number on my trust issues, I've made a lot of changes throughout my life since the event. I've changed my name, obviously. I'm in my mid-30s now. I have an amazing corporate position in a company that changes lives. I speak to schools about the impact of poverty, and it's taught me to empathize with people in different positions than my own. I own a condo in a very beautiful city. I'm engaged. I took up learning a second language and I've never... And I never take the second chance I've been given for granted. I've been clean for just over 15 years now. I've never told anybody in my new life about what's happened. I don't think they would even believe me. Even though I take full responsibility for my stupidity in my younger years, to the biker that is waiting to collect on his ridiculous $260,000 in debt, let's not ever meet again. I don't believe you. Fuck you, you're full of shit. There were VPNs 15 years ago? Were there? Was Facebook even around 15 years ago? I don't know. But I question the integrity of your story. And fuck you for being a scammer. Anyway, thank you guys very much for tuning back in. This has been another episode of the Halloween Special Edition of the Anthology of Horror. I am your host and narrator, spring Jack, and if you'd like to reach out to me, you can do so by going to Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. That is Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to check back tomorrow for another episode. And if you haven't done so, please rate the store on the podcast store or on Spotify or wherever you listen. It helps the search algorithm. Thank you very much, guys, and until next time, stay spooky.
1: Mackie drove up Peterbilt in 1973. He was a truck driver with a wife and kid to feed. With stars and bars across the grill, the cab was like his knife. Yet the road was home, and that truck was his life. He was an honest man. He meant no harm, but there was diesel in his veins. He was heading north on a southbound lane. He got mixed up with the drugs, guns, and bad shit going around. I got a feeling our friend Mackie's going down. He's a truck driver. gun toting, men snorting. snorting, blue car. That hooked Mac up with that score to fill his 18 wheeler full of black. Up Tennessee to Mexico, then dump it in San Diego. Some guy there from Seattle named Jack Coke. Well, it took three days to make the run, and Mac showed up with his old shotgun. Even up a while, things were getting weird. See, Jack Cope was supposed to have the cash. Instead, he had some song and dance. Mac shot him in the chest right then and there. Cause he's a truck driving, driving. gun toting, toting, meth meth snorting, a blue car. some truck stop, I, five, five. Well, they cuffed a man, they brought a man, and then some suit and tie came in, said, Mac, I just want to shake your hand. You see, Jack Cole was on the wanted list. That bastard killed a bunch of kids, I just wish I could have been there to see him die. He said, now I'm gonna let you go, you and that trailer full of dope. Mac grabbed his keys and rolled off in the night, cause he's uh, truck a truck driver.